Well, good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today's date is June 14th, 2020. Look, last Wednesday night, we covered third day thinking. And how to have our minds filled with resurrected thinking. Cleaning up our spiritual hygiene, Pastor. Come on, removing that stinking thinking. So our goal is to defeat satanic stratagem. And have the heart of Jonathan that says, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. You guys remember that? We have to remove assumption, remove arrogance, remove anger and offense in order to rightly serve our Davidic king. Church, this morning we're going to continue on in learning how to have proper spiritual hygiene. We're going to address the earthly, unspiritual, devilish odors that are in our own hearts today. Yeah. I want to remind you that while we're doing this this sermon today, while we're doing these few sermons that we're on, we often think of celestial opposition, those rulers and authorities and powers and spiritual dominators. We often think about those in uh, these very overt and dramatic manners of coming in to oppose us. But we're also trying to get to the understanding there's sometimes very subtle tactics that the enemy uses to get you derailed. See, sometimes we're trying to skip to uh, addressing a high, high archon. And the truth is, is those that are um, just doing the king's business are the ones that we're much more influenced and deterred by in our walks with the Lord. So we're going to talk about this as we turn to Deuteronomy chapter 29. We're going to see this in action. Everybody turn to Deuteronomy 29 and we're going to start in verse 14. Somebody say there when you're there. Oh, yeah. We're going to look at this in the NASB. We're going to get these, we go. this passage of Scripture in the NASB. You're welcome, Rick, and the others who like that. For clarity's sake. Yes, of yes. course. Amen. Verse 14. It says this. Now, not with you alone am I making this covenant an oath. Okay. We're already off, and I'm not quite sure everything else, but I like the way this starts. But both with those who stand here with us today... In the presence of the Lord our God and those who are not here with us today. Hmm. Now, we understand that this is Moses recapping the law. He's talking about the blessings and the curses. The curses. And right here he's saying, look, it's not only for those that we're looking at, yeah. which is the entirety of the group of people. But there are some people who are not here yet today, but we're talking to them too. Come, somebody say, this passage is for me. This passage is for me. For you know how we lived in the land of Egypt and how we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed. Moreover, you have seen their abominations and their idols of wood, stone, silver, and gold which they had with them. See, what Moses is doing is recalling to their memory what they've done. They've walked through places. They were in a land. They were in plenty of places where the lands around them had abominations going on. Yeah. I think we can relate to that. In this case, they were talking about the idols of wood and stone and silver and gold. See, notice that Moses is recalling their thinking. Now, knowing what you know, he's calling their thinking back to, hey, they remember those other lands that were ruled by archons, maybe even influenced by the Manai Ha Elohim, yep. these celestial opposition. You remember what that looked like. Those are abominations of those lands that are around you. They manifested in idols. They made idols to make sure that everyone around, that those spiritual forces knew that they were worshiping them. And Moses is calling their, this to their remembrance. Let's take a look at verse 18. Verse 18 continues. So that 
there will not be among you a man or woman, hmm, family or tribe. That kind of sounds like what we covered in the earlier passages of human race, nation of Israel, tribe, and every family, family of, of David, whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. That there will not be among you a root bearing poisonous fruit and wormwood. Wow. See, there, there's... There's on their, their hearts the competition of who they're going to serve. They're passing out of Egypt through these other nations. They're seeing the idolatry that these other nations are serving. And he's wanting to make sure, pay attention, that you do not go and serve those other gods. That your heart doesn't turn away to those defiant and defected Elohims. But there's a residual result that happens if you do, he says, a root bearing poisonous fruit. Wow. Are you being to see a connection that by attaching your heart to these other gods, to these other defections will lead to the next step of having a bitter root within you? Well, let's see where it goes with verse 19. Church, we're trying to make sure right here at the beginning, you understand that there's a possibility that some of these celestial forces or what you've allowed in your life has produced a bitter root. You know what the problem with a bitter root is? is it causes poisonous fruit. But when do you see the fruit? Is the root immediately planted and then bam, you're looking at the fruit? No. The problem is, is that there's a delay and by the time you see the fruit, that bitter root has been working for a long time. Let's go on and see what it says in verse 19. Yeah. It shall be that when he hears the words of this curse, that he will boast. Y'all right. y'all are y'all are with us this morning. I like it. Yeah. You're hearing the words of a, coast, of, of a curse and you're beginning to boast inside of your heart. Saying, and here's what, here's what the internal dialogue is. Don't you just love the word? It tells you what people are actually thinking on the inside. It does. I have peace. Hey man, I got shalom. Everything's right with me, bruh. That was for you, buddy. It's, it's alright with me, bruh. Though I walk in the stubbornness of my own heart. Where that bitter root is, that's what I'm walking in, in the stubbornness of my heart, in order to destroy the watered land with the dry. Now, this is a huge problem. Don't go on to the next verse yet. you got to understand what we're talking about here. There's a curse that's saying, you cannot operate with a bitter fruit in your life, because it will produce poisonous fruit. There is no way around that. And when that person hears that and goes, I am walking in shalom. I got it. Everything's Don't right. you worry, pastor. There ain't no bitter root inside of me. I've taken care of that. I want you to listen to the seriousness of what God says in reply to those kind of hearts. Yeah. Listen to the next verse. The Lord shall never be willing to forgive him. Whoa. That's heavy. I'm just going to say it again. The Lord shall never be willing to forgive him. But rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will burn against that man. And every curse which is written in this book will rest on him. And the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. Doesn't that sound like a parent who is angry with a child? Doesn't that sound like there's, by the way, this is what's going to happen, and this, and while I'm at it, and this, and this. Wow. The Lord will never be willing to forgive him. Now that is not a common phrase that anyone in our day and time wants to talk about. 
We just want to talk about how much God's forgiven as if what Jesus did on the cross obliges him to work with us. He paid the price. He did what he was supposed to do. Now we are entitled to something. Oh, Ooh. that's kind of backwards thinking, isn't it? It is. The Lord shall never be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will burn against that man. And every curse written in this book will rest on him. And, and if, if that wasn't enough, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. Somebody say, that's serious. That's serious. Let's continue on and understand to make sure that none of us, that none of us have a bitter root inside of our hearts. Let's find out. Is it important to start figuring out what that root is? It is. He says you can't have it. It's going to produce poisonous fruit. But let's figure out exactly what this is today. Mm. Hebrews 12.15. Let's put up on the screen. I want to reference this for you guys. Hebrews 12.15 says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God. And that no, what kind of root? Bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Now what we just read in Deuteronomy is that you have this idolatry, the hearts of the people gravitating to these, this idolatry, that leads to a bitter root producing poisonous fruit, a stubbornness of heart, a blindness of condition, being cut off from God's kingdom and every curse that's written in this book falling upon you there's a, a series of gravity that's, that's occurring so i would therefore assume that the writer of hebrews is probably having this very passage in mind as he's writing chapter 12 verse 15 in fact maybe even he has in mind exodus 15 when he's putting this together but that's where a later discussion tonight or some other time the question is, what we're trying to bring to your attention is, look, there's a progression that's happening here that God's trying to get our attention and asking what idolatrous thought is trying to separate you from God. We've been talking about spiritual hygiene and having our awareness broaden, our eyes open to see the stratagem of Satan, to be aware of what is trying to separate us. Yeah. In particular, what is the specific satanic stratagem at work in this, in this bitter root that produces poisonous fruit? What exactly are we not seeing correctly about ourselves, which then in turn is affecting other people as well? For this answer, let's look at Matthew chapter 6. Everybody turn quickly to Matthew chapter 6. Let's look at verse 14 and 15. See, if there's a root of bitterness, if there's this, this bitter root that's there that's going to produce poisonous fruit, we better figure out to make sure that that root doesn't get planted on the inside of us. Yeah. That's the only way to do this. You, it, to have to pull up a root later is much more difficult than never having the root implanted in you in the first that's place. True. That's good. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14 is going to make this abundantly clear. It says this, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. When you forgive others, you are enabled to receive forgiveness from the Lord. Wow. If that isn't heavy enough for you, we're going to read more, one more verse because it puts it in the converse as well. To make sure that you understand both sides of this coin. Verse 14 puts it in the affirmative. If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Look at verse 15. But if you do not forgive men their sins... Your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. In context, this is the Sermon on the Mount. 
Jesus has just instructed them with what we would call the Lord's Prayer. They've asked Jesus, how, do we, how are we supposed to pray? And He's instructed them in this. And then this is the immediate verses that follow. In, in understanding of what your prayers are, He says you have to understand the entire concept of forgiveness. See, if you do not forgive men, God will not forgive you. Now this is a point of, of theology that most people never even broach. Yeah. Why? Because we assume that God is going to forgive us kind of no matter what. That's why the phrase in, in Deuteronomy is so shocking that God will never forgive them. Well, there are these things. Now, as we're talking about this, this is a weighty concept. But that brings us to the title of today's sermon. The title of today's sermon is Spiritual Hygiene, Unforgiveness. Everybody say unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. This is part of this that will plant a seed, a root of bitterness inside of you. And the only possible outcome is poisonous fruit and death and separation from God. So let's, let's get into this a little bit further as we turn to Matthew chapter 18. Say there whenever you're there. Matthew 18, verse 21 is where we'll pick up on. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Now, one of the first facets that we want to show how Matthew 6, how forgiveness is such an important issue, is how it's displayed in your brotherhood. Now, Peter, the chief hakam, all right, the lead disciple, he's stepping out there boldly. All right, I just want to make sure, Jesus, in my relationship with all these other 11 guys around me, uh, when they sin, because I know they will and they already have, I have a documented case against it. <laughs> I'm going to go, oh, go ahead and assume the, the proper answer here. It's called the assumptive close. Uh, how many times? Uh, seven, right? Right? Because that's how many I've determined inside of my heart that I'm willing to actually give them. That's pretty hermeneutically sound. When in doubt, just go for seven or <laughs> just, yeah. 12 or something, right? I mean, that, that, that's enough to show grace, but, you know, th there is a limit, right? <laughs> Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 Seven times. Now look, depending on your translation, it may say 77 or 70 times seven. I think you get the point of what Jesus is after, right? It's an uncountable number of times. But I want you to see something a little bit deeper than this. We, we're educating ourselves in the pattern of God's word, particularly with a number and a few, few numbers. Are you hearing two numbers in this passage? Right? We hear the number 70, and we hear the number 7. So regardless of how exactly your Bible version adds or multiplies these numbers, you hear the number 70 and 7 because it's speaking of a forgiveness that is reaching the nations, number 70, and thereby is able to become complete, the number 7. So what is Jesus really aiming at in answering Peter's assumptive close? I want you to have a level of forgiveness that extends to the entire world and thereby completing my will on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, but he doesn't stop there, y'all. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So not only did Jesus answer Peter in this way, of what complete forgiveness looks like for the world, but he begins to give him a parable that illustrates this. 
Well, we all are very familiar with this parable. You have the guy that comes to the king, because the king is wanting to settle accounts with his servants. And he owes the king somewhere around uh, $1.5 million in our current day currency. Couldn't pay it back. Not at all. That's a stimulus check that you cannot write a check to repay. And so he begs for the king's mercy. He asks for forgiveness. And what does he receive from the king? Forgiveness. For an immeasurable amount that he owed the king, and he himself could not pay that back. But it begins to progress to the point where when he is forgiven, he then goes and finds his servant who owed him around four bucks. Maybe eight, depending on the exchange rate that you can look at right now. But he owed them only about four to eight bucks. And he told that man, he said, pay back what you owe me. He demanded is how the scripture continues. And that servant who owed him four to eight bucks said, look, be patient with me. Be patient. With me. I'm trying to get this right. I'm putting forth effort, but this is all that I have. And the one who was forgiven of much began to choke him. I mean, to take his hands that were designed to do the will of God and begin to choke a man who owed him a fraction of what he owed the king. This is the parable Jesus is trying to drive home this principle to Peter and his disciples. You get the, you get the context, right? Peter asked him, how many times should I forgive my brother? And then we get the number 70 and 7, which knowing what you now know should make that passage mean more to you than it's ever meant to you in your entire life. Yeah. It's 490. You're just not. No, no, no. We're talking about 70 and 7. That's the point. Yes. You've got to have enough forgiveness, not only for your brothers, but for understanding that to take his forgiveness for the whole world. Yeah. And then we begin in the story. And by the way, in the story, you're not the master. You're not the king here that's, that's offering the forgiveness. We want to put ourselves as the one who, who is being mistreated. That's where most of the time, oh, if I'm yeah. honest with you, in my heart, I want, to, I want to go, yeah, how dare that guy do that to, 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 to him. <laughs> wow. This is not where we're going with this. You are not the one that has been innocently mistreated. You're the one that has received so much from the king of kings. And if we don't turn and look and be able to forgive someone else, what is that saying about us? I'll tell you what it's saying. Look at verse 32. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant. Man, don't you love how the Bible is just for real? Yeah. To the point. Jesus is giving this example in the context of this is what the kingdom of heaven is all about. The kingdom of heaven is like, is the way that this parable starts out. You wicked servant. I canceled all of your debt. All the debt, that debt of yours, because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Now, this is the second to last verse in Matthew 18. Most of the time when you're reading this story, most people stop right here and they go, Oh man, this, In anger, the master turns him over and he's going to be tortured until he pays it all back. Wow, you better be careful. Look at the next verse. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive from your brother from your heart. Amen. 
This is not a hypothetical situation. He's setting up the situation to teach you about a very real process of the way God looks at something. This is how the Heavenly Father is going to treat you. These are Jesus' words to Peter. Intending for us to get it. You know what? In most of your Bibles, you may have a heading over this passage. And it may say something like, the unmerciful servant. Anybody in your Bibles say the unmerciful servant? Yes. Yes. Do you realize that the mercy is a secondary issue in this entire story? To name it the unmerciful servant misses the entire point that we're talking about forgiveness. If you are unable to demonstrate mercy to people, the issue is probably that you have unforgiveness in your heart and that is keeping mercy from flowing. Come on. No, pastor. No, that's just not, that's not what the issue is. I just, uh, I lack mercy. If you're lacking mercy, do you understand that the context of this is not just mercy? It's mercy that is demonstrated from a heart that understands of what you've been forgiven. That is the pattern that you must then demonstrate. Think about Psalm verse uh, chapter 130 and verse 3. I'm going to put this on the screen for you. Psalm 130 and verse 3. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, do I even need to go any further? <laughs> I mean, if you, O oh Lord, kept a record of sins, maybe the man had such a high debt because his master was really good at keeping a record of sins. Maybe the reason he owed millions was because the master actually understood every minute detail of what he really owed. doesn't say the man thought he owed a lot. He actually owed a lot. Yes. If you, O oh Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? What is the answer to that rhetorical question? Nobody. No one. Ah, but with you. Somebody say, with you. With you. There is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. There's a little bit of fear that's starting to settle in on us, the right kind of fear in the room. If he kept a record of our sins, man, none of us could stand. None of us should be here. But because he is with us, He offers forgiveness, therefore we need to be afraid of Him. We need to have the right kind of fear. Why? Because we better, in turn, be able to forgive others rightly, or we won't receive that forgiveness from Him. That's right. My goodness, the fear of the Lord is based on His power to forgive in this passage. See, it's a standard. God is showing us the standard of how He forgives, and that now becomes the standard of how we should forgive others. Or as Matthew 6 says, if we don't forgive others, we won't be forgiven. You're not apologizing and, and, and expecting an apology in return. You're forgiving the exact same way that the Father has forgiven you. Amen. Yeah. Anybody need to cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, help me here? Oh, yeah. Come on oh, now. Yeah. Church, what we're trying to bring to your attention is that the satanic stratagem of unforgiveness, it's aimed at destroying two things that we see in the parable. That the man who owed millions, he lost his relationship with his brother. Brotherhood. But he also lost the relationship with the king. The satanic stratagem of unforgiveness is aimed at destroying both your relationships with your brothers and the relationship with the king. It's trying to annihilate them both. But we have a solution. Do you want a solution to this? Oh, yeah. Here's what we need to begin to fix this. Is that we need the spirit of God and the word of God in agreement. And this is how. The spirit and the word in agreement and the brotherhood of believers 
in order to bear witness with our direction as being confirmation for God's will in our life. Yes, I need the Spirit. Yes, I need the Word and agreement. But I need it coming through you to me. I need my brothers and my brothers need me. And the imperative is going back to Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. There's an intrinsic relationship that we all have with each other. And my relationship with the King will show up in my relationship with you and vice versa. Yeah. I need the Spirit and the Word at work through you confirming God's will for me. What that is based upon is initially the fear of the Lord. Say fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. Out of Psalm 130, Pastor Wade just read to you what this should produce in you. It should be a holy fear that wants to get it right before the king and get it right with your brothers. And then a further reflection on Matthew 6 shows you that you will then receive favor from the Lord when you're acting righteously on the fear of the Lord. And the, the third thing that it produces is freedom. That there is a liberation of relationship between you and the king and you and your brothers. Shalom can continue to flow and the kingdom of God be displayed through both you and your brother side by side. See, forgiveness overcomes the stratagem of Satan that's aimed at your brotherhood and it displays the right order with God through you both. Man. Are you guys listening to Pastor Matt? Man, that was good. He talked about forgiveness that opens our eyes and our ears to see and hear the Word of God, discern the leading of the Spirit, and to confirm the voice of the Lord through the brothers around you. Man, that is good. Yeah. See, this is so important for us, and you should be hearing us today, and even here early in the message. You should be hearing more than just, are you receiving forgiveness from the Lord? There is a, an important part of this that you can't be receiving forgiveness from the Lord unless you are giving forgiveness to your brothers, to the men and the women around you. Yeah. Man, that is a serious, serious weight that's upon us. Yeah. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 25. Mm. Come on, let's talk about this kind of forgiveness that God gives. Man, we all want to be a part of that. We all want to receive it. But are you able, are you in the process, are you in the habit of giving the same kind of forgiveness. Verse, Isaiah 43 and verse 25, it says this. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions. Come on. See, but when you're not willing to give forgiveness, you could have your name blotted out. Yep. But here he's saying, I am, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I want to have fellowship with you. I want to be... The whole reason I did this was so that you could be close to me. I'm going to blot out your transgressions for my sake. Uh-oh. And remembers your sins no more. That's the way he treats us. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Lord, that when you forgive me, it is not only forgiven, you don't even remember my sins anymore. Man, that same amount that you feel of God's favor upon you in that moment, even as we're talking about it, how well are you giving that to those around you? That's good. It is the same proportion. He forgives us. You know what the Lord did at our worship time today? Man, that was an incredible time. Did you feel Him wanting to come in and help forgive you? Did you feel the yeah. washing and the cleansing that was going on? Yeah. Do you know what your response must be? 
You must take that and receive it and feel that. And He has forgiven you. And He is forgetting those sins no more. He will remember them no more. And then you have to process that that says, now that I've received it, I know the pattern. I've seen the way it should be done. This is the standard of how I must turn and engage with those around me. Yeah. Wow. Such a simple topic and yet so pertinent to every day and everything that we think. It's our responsibility to forgive in the same manner that Christ forgave us. That God who blots out and remembers no more remembers us. Let's go ahead and just put this right where we live. And let's start talking about our marriages. Let's talk about our spouses for just Whoa. a second. Whoa. Well, now you're getting real, Pastor. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, just start coming down. A lot of shuffling right in the seats now. Everybody turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's look at this. Oh, because you know forgiveness is not only needed among brothers. It's most needed in marriages. First Peter 3. Yeah, the reason why we put your chair so close in rows is so that you can't crawl underneath them. You actually have to sit up and face the music. First Peter 3, verse 5. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. Kind of like my Ooh. wife here on the front row in the white shirt. My, my own piece of cinnamon candy right here, redheaded. <laughs> wow. Yeah, baby. Woo! Wow. Hey, we would be close, but I felt like I got a little too close just then. <laughs> they were submissive to their own husbands, like Cassidy, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands in the same way. Be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Oh, now we're starting to see what the end goal of the satanic stratagem of unforgiveness is in a marriage. That means that he is looking to cause unforgiveness in a marriage in order to hinder your ability to destroy his works. That the more unified that a couple is, the more forgiveness there is being extended between husband and wife, the more powerful and potent that they can be to destroy everything that the devil is trying to do. That means no matter where you go, as a couple or individually, you're walking in shalom and you are putting underneath your feet everything the devil is trying to do in other people's lives. But there's something that we have to be very, very aware of in our marriages. And that is a, a, a practice of what we call gunny sacking, right? Gunny sacking. This is a term taken from the military where you would have this, this, uh, this pouch on a sling around your neck and off to the side, and you would store these things that you have collected as armament. And you would file them away. What this looks like in a marriage as far as unforgiveness goes, it's, oh, oh, hey, sweetie, I, I outwardly forgive you. I mean, we're going to hold hands, we're going to pray, we're going to read our Abigail traits, I'm going to put the death mind a ball for now. I'm outwardly in right shalom with you, similar to what we read in Deuteronomy 29, but I am inwardly reserving the right to bring this back up later 
so that it can defend and justify my point. It's going to be an ambush, a sneak attack to destroy Shalom. And I'm going to keep it all right here. Easily accessible. Another way to say that is that what you're doing is that you're waiting for a future opportunity to weaponize your spouse's mistakes. I mean, come on, you lift your hands up in worship, you read the word in the morning, you're like, yes, Lord, see if there's any offensive way in me. Yeah, what about this one thing you got hidden away? I, I, I really don't have that. I've forgiven them. Lord, I, no, see if there's some other kind of offensive way inside of me. Nope. Come on, when we begin to search our hearts and let the Spirit and the Word work in agreement, He's going to find areas in your life and in your marriage where you are gunny-sacking the mistakes of your spouse just because you want to reserve the right to defend yourself in the future. Oh, we can't do that. Let's be honest. Sometimes you're not even dealing with it in the moment. You're not even being as godly as what Pastor Matt just alluded to that you're dealing with it you're saying nice things let's be honest some of us just put it in the gunny sack and we wait for later and we hadn't even told them and so they build up they build up they build up until the gunny sack is now broken and it just all spills out you know what else you did and then and you did this and you said this and remember that and you're like whoa that's called gunny sacking that's called unforgiveness Pastor just said about waiting for an opportune time to weaponize that later. What does that sound like? Who waited for a more opportune time to come back? Ah, Satan did that. Satan. How about this one? How about, yeah, I know I should give, I, I should forgive. Yeah, 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 but uh, I know I should forgive. Yeah, but, hmm. but what if it happens again? How can I forgive them today? What if it happens again? Let's be honest. We're not usually worried about if it's going to happen again. We usually are much more concerned if it's already happened so many times. Mm. Well, they keep doing it. How can I offer and give them forgiveness? See, yeah, I know I should. Yeah, but I've got these extenuating circumstances of why it's okay for me to keep unforgiveness. A bitterest root. A bitter root that will produce a poisonous fruit. It's okay for me to keep it. Because it's mm. just something small. Mm. No, pastor, I forgive him. You don't understand. See, are you forgiving in the manner that Christ has forgiven you? That is the standard, my friends. Yeah. That is the satanic stratagem of the enemy to try to keep you from actually forgiving, from actually walking in shalom. There's a parallel passage in Luke 17 of the passage that we just read, and I'm going to read it to you. Luke 17, verses 3 and 4. It says, so watch yourselves. Amen. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, watch out. Watch out. Watch yourselves, brothers. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Here's the complexity of this. You ready? <laughs> Lay it out. Yeah, 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 you know, you're going to have to get out your, your, your T-squares and your, and your calculators here for this. If they sin, rebuke them. If they repent, forgive them. That's the formula. <laughs> yeah, but what if he sins again? Oh, look what the next verse says. Because it'll be what you say. Even if he sins against you seven times a day. Yeah, but what if they keep doing it? Yeah, but what if, but what if, but what if, 
If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent. You must forgive him. Mm. The end. That's the complexity of this. If they come and ask for forgiveness, you're supposed to give it. Amen. But what if they don't mean it? But what if? (laughs) Yeah. See, we live where you live. We live where you live. We're not living in the glass house. But what if? But you don't know how long they've done that. They don't mean it. They don't really, if they really meant it, they wouldn't do it again. Or they're just as sinful and wicked as you, and they owe just as much to the King of Kings as you do. Wow. Get it, Pastor. See, why are we trying to be this plain and distinct with you today? Because if you allow unforgiveness for any reason inside of you, you have a bitter root. It will produce poisonous fruit. And if that goes on long enough, you separate yourself from God. You do. All the while saying all the right things. Yeah. All the while ignoring the actual fruit that is going on in your life. See, we're getting at some heart issues here. Let's, let's, do, let's do one or two more, Pastor. So look, unforgiveness in marriage, it can have a variety of emotions, right? So either you can be very heated Or it can also happen whenever you're just cooled off. So when it comes to the the heated, the passionate ones within your marriage covenant, man, when there's unforgiveness, all it takes is just a push of one button and you have a nuclear launch. Nuclear. A nuclear launch. You have an atomic bomb that drops. The whole house shakes and rattles. Things break against the wall as they're hurled against it. Radioactive material yes. is everywhere. Pieces of batteries and phones going everywhere. Well, I think that's a pretty clear indicator that there is unforgiveness. It's not just because you had too much coffee in the morning or haven't eaten yet or didn't get your way about earlier or where a choice to go over to a restaurant. These all sound very specific, Pastor. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm building just on the counseling that we have done hypothetically individually, speaking. hypothetically. They're all related to blood sugar. How about that? (laughs) Just preaching from my own experiences, church. If that's not your problem, if you just go no clear, how about that? That is a sign that there's unforgiveness, but that's not the only sign that there's unforgiveness. There's more. What about those of you in the room that end up getting in that icy cold kind of movement with each other? Whoa. You might have a nuclear explosion, or you just might get really, really icy cold. Mm. You might just become completely indifferent. Fine. You're going to be that way? I, I don't want to see you. I don't want to talk to you. I'm not going to be ugly. I'm not going to blow up. I am now going to be like Iceman. That's it. Done. Mm. Boom. <laughs> or you could do both. Yes, of course. A nuclear bomb that led to the Ice Age. Awesome. Yeah. See, church, if you have... Church, if you have indifference going on in your heart, you know what those bitter root of unforgiveness does in you? Ladies, I'm not going to ask you to respond. Do not look anywhere side to side. Men also feel this way. What this produces, this kind of icy unforgiveness in you, it produces a silent dissatisfaction about your whole life. It does. You're smiling on the outside, 
you're looking like everything's all right, and y'all come here and you hug everybody, but on the inside you're like, this isn't what I really wanted. If men or women have thought that, I'm telling you that there's areas of unforgiveness, and that is a bitter root that you are nursing. You're allowing it to stay. Mm. You are you are pouring some miracle grow on that, and it's going to produce poisonous fruit if it already hasn't. See, if you are receiving forgiveness and giving forgiveness from the heavens, that silent dissatisfaction goes away. Yes. It is eradicated because you pull it up by the root. Yeah. Come on now. This is this is going to help you. Let's 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 talk about some solutions here, Pastor. Do y'all want to hear a solution to this? Yeah. We just leave it hanging right here and let, let you guys figure it out. No, we're pastors. We're going to help you. So here's how you begin to fix it, right? It's called forgiveness. You start each day new with forgiveness. Do you see how simple that is? See, forgiveness begins to uproot that bitter root, not just cutting off the poisonous fruit. It's not about that one argument that you had. It's about the heart issue that you do have. And as you begin to extend forgiveness that you have received from the king, it uproots it. And one of the practical ways that this is displayed is by reading your Abigail traits to your spouse. When you begin to cultivate that divine nature inside of them, it is uprooting that devilish nature inside of you. What does that begin to do? Well, instead of a nuclear bomb, it begins to ignite fireworks. Wow. I like that. A good kind of ignition. Oh, instead of being cold as ice, husbands, it will make you as smooth as ice. Oh, oh, yes. we, we get, we're getting this down, man. I told you we had some solutions for you. Do you want to hear more? Come on, Pastor. Ephesians 4. Somebody say, thank you, Pastor Matt. Woo! <laughs> They're all going to go home and watch Top Gun tonight. That's what's going to happen. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. It says this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger. doesn't say get rid of some of it. It says get rid of all of it. Rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice, whether it's the nuclear version or the icy version. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Yeah. See, we got to raise, we got to elevate our level of forgiveness in this house. It's not just saying you're sorry and accepting the apology. You've got to actually forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. It's the exact same model that's already been displayed for you. And Paul is teaching the Ephesians the very principle that Jesus taught his disciples. Well, we read in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, particularly 15, but if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. In our marriages, once again, it has to start with the fear of the Lord that then generates the forgiveness that's extended to your spouse. That will then in turn produce the favor of the Lord and the freedom to have his shalom and his anointing moving through your whole household, not just through an individual. See, forgiveness overcomes this satanic stratagem of Satan that's aimed at your marriage covenant and it seeks to destroy even more. See, there's stratagems that are aimed at your marriage covenant, but they're also aimed at your family. Turn with us to Nehemiah 4. Yeah. One of my favorite passages, especially on this subject. 
Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 13. If the enemy is trying to get to you personally and to those in you, with how you deal with your brotherhood, if he's trying to get and attack your marriage covenant, he is surely trying to attack your parenting in your home. Yeah, he is. Nehemiah 4.13, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. See, what are the low places of your wall today? Those, that protective barrier to your home, what are the low spots? What are those exposed places? Well, that's where you're supposed to post your family at these low spots. you got to be on guard. you got to understand that that's where the enemy can come in. I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to tell everybody in the room, unforgiveness is your post today. This is where you have to pay attention to those spots of unforgiveness that you might rightly forgive. Husbands and wives who are on different pages in discipline. It produces low points of being, uh, the exposed low points of unforgiveness there. Children who are harboring resentment towards discipline. Children who are harboring resentment towards discipline. Always feeling like they're the victim. Hiding their true thoughts. Trying to disguise them. Trying to put them somewhere. We'll let them be seen here, but we'll not actually talk to the parents who can actually deal with it. See, these are areas that are rife with unforgiveness. There are areas when people don't and can't receive discipline. You have to understand that and deal with that. You have to get after that and begin to fight for your families. You gotta fight for them. You gotta do, you think it's just gonna be okay because you close your eyes to it? Man, that's a bitter root that's gonna produce poisonous fruit. Look at verse 14. And after, after I look things over, I hope you can say this later on today and later on this week. Pastor, we heard your words. After we look things over, we finally stood up. We finally stood up and then we exclaimed it to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people. Don't be afraid of them. It never hit me until yesterday. I was looking at this passage and I stopped right there. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of who? Well, I understand the context of Nehemiah and who they're saying don't be afraid of in Nehemiah. And I went, wow, how many parents are parenting out of fear? How many parents are allowing insubordination to rise within their kids because they know how to speak and and articulate things well enough to manipulate their own parents. My kids don't do that. Did you? Which parent did you know to ask for to get the thing that you wanted to get? How did you learn how to say it? I could manipulate my dad in a way that I would ask him and he would always say no on the first round, so I just asked him and got the no out of the way. Dad, can I do this? No. Yes, sir. Thank you, Dad. Appreciate it. Love you. And I'd come back later. Like, hey, Dad, did I ask you this already? Yeah, well, I knew my dad's pattern. That's manipulation. Yeah, but our kids don't do that to us, huh? Your two-year-old does it to you. Your five-year-old does it to you. Your 10-year-old surely does it to you. They're only getting better and better at convincing you that... <laughs> how about... That's a good word. How about you stand up for the biblical standards in your own home and for now we're starting to talk about forgiveness. If your kids have a constant victim mentality that they don't have what everybody else has or they need more or their life just isn't good, you need to squash it. Amen. 
And you need to make sure that there's forgiveness flowing in both directions. Amen. It, says, it goes on to say, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers. That's where we started. Fight for your sons and your daughters and your wives and your home. Remember how the Lord has forgiven you and fight to give the exact same kind of forgiveness. Teach your family how to forgive one another. Teach your family to forgive exactly as Christ has forgiven you and make sure that everyone in your home is able to stand up. Look things over and stand up and fight for your family. Amen? Amen. Church, do you hear the call for us as parents to rise up? For to stand up on biblical principles, to fight for the shalom in the hearts of our children? Because we must overcome this satanic stratagem of unforgiveness. Because it is aimed at embedding a bitter root in our children that will produce poisonous fruit of generations afterwards. Oh man, I want to be the marker of where righteous fruit begin to bear in my family line. I want to continue generation after generation. But we have to start with a clear understanding that it begins with us. If we're not chasing to subdue unforgiveness in our children, it's because we are comfortable with it residing in us. But as we hunt it down, as we use God's word and spirit to root it out of our own hearts, we begin to see liberation and freedom within our children. That's because we're walking in the fear of the Lord. It produces the favor of the Lord and thereby the freedom for our generations to be free of a bitter root that produces poisonous fruit. We have to take Matthew 6, 14 seriously. But here's the thing. One of the ways that unforgiveness embeds itself into the soil of our hearts is through perceived injustice perceived injustice for instance what do you do when you feel wronged when you feel wronged see the truth really is that unforgiveness it blinds you from discerning the validity of an injustice and moreover it blinds you from knowing what to do about it. Are you able to forgive or do you stay in a state of offense? A cycle of unforgiveness. And you just keep getting hung up on this perceived injustice. Do you wallow in unforgiveness, demanding what someone owes you, all the while having been forgiven of a much greater debt to your king? You just, that hamster wheel is going at night and during the day. But they did this, but they said this, and this is what they always do. It won't stop spinning. Church, this is a sign that there's a bitter root, and it will produce poisonous fruit. So much that it will keep you out of the kingdom, like we read in Matthew 6, like we read in Deuteronomy 29. Even to the point that your father will not forgive you. But when we forgive, we are then able to subdue the stratagem of Satan by cutting off this bitter root of unforgiveness. The one that is producing poisonous fruit in our own life, defiling our children, defiling our brotherhoods, defiling our marriages. But let me tell you this, the right response, you'll want to write this down, this is a key point. The right response to injustice is intercession. The right response to injustice is intercession that is overflowing from forgiveness. 
relationships between husbands and wives, your relationships with your families, with your brothers, with your sisters, with leaders and authorities. You cannot properly intercede without it first coming from forgiveness. Let's look at some people who really got this right. Yeah. Y'all ready for some biblical examples that help us show, that help us see how to do this? Let's turn to Genesis chapter 50 and verse 19. We're going to go through this quickly. We're going to go through this quickly, but y'all are going to stay with us because we're going to watch how these people did it. This is Joseph speaking to his brothers. His father has now died and they're worried that Joseph is going to pay them back, that Joseph had been gunny sacking. He was nice to them while dad was alive, but now that dad is gone, Joseph's about to unleash something on them. Well, he does. It's just not what they were expecting. Verse 19, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Come on now. Sometimes we don't forgive because we're just afraid. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. You treated me bad. You didn't do right by me. But God intended it for my good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. Not only will I say kind things to you, but I'm going to provide for you and your children. I'm going to demonstrate that forgiveness has taken hold. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to him. There was no icy demeanor between them. He provided for them. He spoke kindly to them. Why? Because he actually forgave them. He was worried about their care. He was worried about their benefit after years of being mistreated. If Joseph doesn't do this, I'm not sure that there's a nation of Israel to come to. Yeah. Forgiveness allows you to see God's sovereignty in what's going on. Is it that they weren't mistreating him? No. It's that it didn't matter because he was ready to forgive that he might not have a bitter root that was producing poisonous fruit. He was able to overcome the injustice. How? Because he was interceding for his brothers because he had actual forgiveness. Yes. It's the way to liberate you from the injustice that's there. It's not about demanding justice for them. It's about trusting in justice from Him. You you can trust. I've got to demand that you treat me right. Well, that's just not going to happen in this world very much. Even from friends. There's going to be friendly fire. Much less from those who are completely wrecked with bitter roots in their own lives. See, we can trust in justice from God. The saving of many lives, yeah, including his own. (laughs) Including Joseph's own life. The the provision and kindness was there because of an intercession that came from forgiveness. Look, another example that we're all very familiar with of intercession flowing from forgiveness is Abigail. So 1 Samuel 25, 28 is what we're going to look at. And it reads like this. Please... Forgive your servant's offense. For the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master. Because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. See, the attitude that Abigail has here, an intercession that's flowing out of forgiveness, is, King David, please forgive us so that it doesn't impact your kingship. Please forgive us. Now, she's taking on the blame for her fool foolish nature husband that she's joined to and she's extending a 70 times seven a forgiveness that impacts the whole world through the nation of israel what she had ladies was something that we call heart turning superpower 
She had the sole ability to save the reputation and work of the king through forgiveness. Well, all it takes is just that first step to begin to act godly and extend forgiveness. Then you can see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All we need is one courageous woman who would overcome this satanic stratagem that's aimed at the king of Israel, the one that is enabled to demonstrate the power of forgiveness. Do we have a woman in the house who is willing to do that? Amen. Church, when you start understanding forgiveness rightly in your own life, you start executing forgiveness correctly in your own life, you start giving forgiveness properly, it makes you want to see other people forgiven. It makes you want to see and watch them do the same. You don't want them to be held. You actually want them to come to find a place of repentance. Consider King Solomon. He's dedicating the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 46. Solomon goes through and he says, Lord, hear their cry. Hear when they pray to you. When a man wrongs his neighbor, Lord, may he cry out to you and may you forgive him. When we're defeated by enemies, clearly because we've sinned, Lord, hear our cry and forgive us for our wickedness. Lord, when there's no rain, when there's famine, when there's plague or blight or mildew, because we haven't listened to you yet again, please hear us when we cry out to you and forgive us. When a foreigner comes in and joins us and he cries out to you, Lord, please hear him and please forgive him. When we go to war to put things in shalom, Lord, and we need your help, Please hear us and forgive us. Amen. This is the entirety of the book uh, of, of uh, the chapter of 1 Kings 8. Listen to verse 46. When they sin against you, for there's no one who does not sin. The wisest man in the world said something that should all just make us really hit us in our heart. When they sin against you, for there's no one who does not sin. And you become angry with them and give them over to an enemy takes them captive, 47. And if they have a change of heart in the land where they're held captive and they repent and they plead with you in their land of conquerors and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong and we've acted wickedly. See, when you have a heart of forgiveness, you want to see others find forgiveness. You want to, to take the veil off of their eyes and say, no, 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 no. You're walking in unforgiveness, but you need this because I've received it. I want you to have it. So that begs the question then. How much are you rooting for other people to be forgiven? Or are you so busy trying to find some sense of justice that you're thinking about? Some sense of right standing that you want to see them get theirs. If you want to see other people get theirs, it may be because you're not in the process of learning how to forgive in your own heart. Because Solomon got this right and he cared about every group that he could think about. Every situation that he can go, Lord, would you hear them? Lord, may they cry out to you and may you forgive them. See, this is what we have to be about. Our heart of forgiveness will help us to cry out for the forgiveness of others. Come on now, how you doing? How well are you doing about crying out for someone else's forgiveness? Lord, may you grant it to them. Why? Because I know I need it. And I'm trying to give it in the same way that you would, Lord. I care about them finding forgiveness. In your home, in your marriage, with your kids, with those around you, on the job. Come on, how well are you doing in that today? Are you letting this word sift through your heart, saints? Come on, what we should see and, and be reminded of is one of the greatest intercessors that there was in the nation of Israel. And that was Daniel. 
It's recorded in Daniel 9, 19. He says, O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord for my God for his holy hill, Daniel is standing as an intercessor, and he is putting under his feet the sense of injustice. Come on, the satanic stratagem is designed to make you feel a victim to injustice. Unforgiveness wants to make you feel like you're a victim to injustice. Entitled to harbor it, to hold it close, to nurture it and cultivate it. But you see, what we hear and see in Daniel, we should also have within us. See, he was carried off to Babylon. He was separated from his land and his people. But he was overcoming the rulers and authorities and powers and spiritual dominators in the heavenly realms. How? Through intercession. This kind of intercession that cries out for the forgiveness of his people and his own sin. The kind that is desperate for the fear, favor, and freedom of God for others more than it is for himself. You see, church, it was at this point in his intercession that Gabriel shows up to deliver a divine directive to Daniel. Giving him a word that the Lord would bring about to the restoration of Israel. Come on, what is your intercession producing? Is it producing salvation for the world? Is it producing salvation for those around you, those in your home, those directly connected to you? Intercession, when it flows out of forgiveness, begins to shake the heavens as well as the earth. God's plan is for you to walk in the fear of the Lord that leads to His favor and brings freedom to all those that are held captive by their unforgiveness. When you begin to get free, guess what? You begin to set other people free. That's God's kingdom on earth. Church, you don't win by staying a victim. You don't win by focusing on injustice in your own heart about what's being done to you. You don't win by allowing one small calloused area of unforgiveness inside of you or your marriage or your family or this church. If you don't forgive, the Father won't forgive you. But when you do follow His example, there is power that gets unleashed in your life. Consider Jesus on the cross, Luke 23. Verse 34, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The ultimate sense of injustice. The ultimate example of injustice. The one pure son of God mistreated. See, Joseph understood this concept of forgiveness. And he was able to forgive his brothers and walk in a power that God gave him. Abigail understood this. Solomon understood this. Daniel understood this. Consider Stephen How he understood this. His very last words in Acts chapter 7. Lord, accept my spirit. He fell to his knees and said, don't hold this sin against them. Wow. And died. Wow. His final words mirrored Jesus' final words. That's somebody who understands forgiveness. That's somebody who understands this. LCM, how are we doing in understanding forgiveness today? Those areas that as we've been talking, these things are are being called to mind of areas that you thought you forgave, that you presume that you forgave, but it never actually got a point to a point of forgiveness. Look, we're getting ready to close. We're we're, we're, we're aiming quickly for an end here. But you got to understand, we've got a few more verses for you that I I think are going to help tie this up rightly.
Church, I want to want to draw your mind to Stephen being stoned. Right? He understood what forgiveness was. He understood the satanic stratagem of unforgiveness. And in his dying breath, he is extending forgiveness because he knew the level of forgiveness he himself received. But maybe maybe you're not the one throwing stones at Paul. I mean at at, at Stephen. Maybe you're like Paul. Shaul at that time. Maybe you're standing there giving approval to the stones that are being thrown. You're giving approval to the hurling of accusations based out of other people's unforgiveness. See, Paul understood this. He understood the satanic stratagem of unforgiveness because it was embedded inside of him when he was standing there giving approval for Stephen's death. And the Lord blinded him on the road to Damascus and began to turn his heart so that he would there in turn help others be free of that same unforgiveness. He goes on to write in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 10, If you forgive anyone, I will also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I've forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Do you see the direct connection that he makes to unforgiveness and satanic stratagem? He himself stood in that place being used as a pawn and a puppet to put to death the saints of the living God based out of unforgiveness. And yet, he was able to be transformed. And so can you. See, Paul was giving the Corinthian church instruction of how to restore a brother who has repented after being handed over to Satan. Being subject to the archon, the celestial opposition in effort. To turn his heart back to God's right order and his shalom. See, the ultimate goal was to have full repentance of sin. Have full awareness of Satan's scheme of unforgiveness. Thereby able to destroy sin and satanic schemes through the power of forgiveness. Oh, we have to join Paul's heart because we have stood where Paul once stood. And when we begin to act upon that power of forgiveness, people begin to be liberated and set free. Come on, that's good. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. And we're going to begin in verse 8. You know, we could take time and we could turn to Revelation 3 and talk about the church at Laodicea if you'd like. Who became lukewarm... And had a very, very poor perception of what they were. They thought themselves to be rich. And they were actually wretched, poor, pitiful, blind, and naked. The word Laodicea actually means just people. A people concerned about justice. But they weren't operating in forgiveness. And they weren't able to rightly see what justice is all about. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8 says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What you should be hearing is exactly what Christ has done for us. 
But knowing what you now know, you should also be hearing something else. You should be hearing your responsibility to give forgiveness in the same way that you've received it. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. Then you're not allowed to do less than that with those around you. You're not allowed to have a different kind of forgiveness than what God has defined and demonstrated for us. If we confess, He is faithful. If they confess, we must be faithful. Look at verse 10. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar, and His word has no place in our lives. When you do not put into practice the things that God has said, it allows for bitter roots of unforgiveness to stay there. It will produce poisonous fruit in every area of your life. Here's the simple call for us today. You've got to make sure that there is no root of unforgiveness inside of you. You've got to tear down the poisonous fruit that has been made from the areas See, if you heard way too much of your own life in what we said today, good. God is trying to help us to make sure that we are staying in right order with Him. Man, and I want to attack the archons of our day. Yes, you do. But this is the beginning steps of being able to do that rightly. You can't skip to the big boys until you've taken care of these kind of things. You can't avoid those things that are actually in your home, actually in your life, actually in your heart. Unforgiveness that has been veiled, that you've allowed to say, no, but I've forgiven them. Yeah, I just can't forget it. That's not scriptural forgiveness. Stand to your feet with us today. Mighty God, we come before you right now with the clarity of your word that is before us. Only a forgiveness of your very kind is acceptable to you. And we know because of Matthew 6, if we do not forgive with that type of forgiveness, we cannot be forgiven. Lord, we become the unmerciful, unforgiving servant. Lord, break off the bonds of unforgiveness in our hearts and our lives today. We have received so much from you. And we cannot give it in return, Lord. But that's going to change today. We're going to begin now to actually forgive. The kind of forgiveness that you give that doesn't hold past sins against them. Without the gunny sacking that has to go on to prove our point, to make our case, to make our ploy against our, our neighbor, our spouse, or our family. Lord, you have given us forgiveness. Let us forgive in the same, exact same manner that you have. In Jesus' name.